episode of Please Watch This uh, Film Podcast, where two film loving mates with gaps in the viewing history, well, what they do is they recommend films to each other so they can once and for all decide who has better taste. My name is Hugh Dempsey. I'm joined, as always, by Sam Blakely. Hello, Sam. Hello, Hugh. I'm very well. How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Why are we talking like this all of a sudden? Oh, well, what a pleasure to make your acquaintance this evening. Um, I don't know, I sort of started on the wrong register there, Hugh. How are you been? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Sore, I'm sore, Sam. I've been sore. Back, in, back in the gym. Oh. Just everything hurts. Oh, the doms. Or oh, the, just, just the oms, if it's just from today. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of both, actually. Or, although I don't think it's going to be the as compound bad. compound oms. I don't think it's going to be as bad as my chest was well like I did chest on like Wednesday and it still hurts the condoms <laughs> the compound doms the, the, the added, compound doms added, lovely. doms the doms lovely um, good so you're cramping up you saw you're not uh, cramping I'm just yeah just saw it's weird doms is weird because it's like if you're moving about and you're like doing stuff it doesn't hurt but when you stop, so like when I've been asleep <laughs> and I wake up and because I've been like sat in like a, you know, like a fetal position or something for like three, four hours in a row, I wake up and like on my chest, I'm like, oh my God, I'm in incredible pain. Why, why have I done this to myself? Well, it may introduce, introduce you to the, to the filmography of a certain Michael Bay and uh, a particular film, No Pain, No Gain. Uh, I have seen No Pain, No Gain. you are seeing the gains, I'm sure, from all this pain. Potentially, or is potentially. it just isolated pain? Is it just, it's just, it's just <laughs> all its own pain? It's just—it's a bit of existential angst as well. <laughs> <laughs> just thrown in, good measure. But yeah, no, um, I have seen Pain and Gain. I didn't hate it. I know that it's like Mark Kermode's film that he like points out as like the worst film that he has pretty much ever seen. Mm. I, I, yeah, I never, I never hated it. I just, I, I just, it just didn't live long in the memory. I think. Well, when I was speaking to my friend, my good friend Lee, who got a first in uh, film making or something, uh, and asked him what film he'd like, he would come onto the the show to talk about. Pain and Gain was the one that he said he's absolutely not that kind of person. I was I was taken aback. He's quite contrarian, so I think he's maybe uh, he's championing an often derided film. Does he doesn't he doesn't seem like a guy who's ever hit the gym? He he's might have walked no, past he's, he's a gym and very hit it with pain his for that game. fist. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's just like a world of something he doesn't really understand or, or knew about so you know it's like if it, maybe he sees it like a documentary exactly yeah i think he's he's looking at it just from an artistic point of view i mean the fool. what is it my favorite michael bay story apparently is where he had some friends over and they put on i can't oh, i can't remember what film it was i wish i could remember the film but he, he puts on like a really good like drama basically from like the, the 90s or the 80s or whatever and he stops about half an hour in and apologises for making them watch this really shit film <laughs> that's like a classic or something <laughs> he's uh, so he's an old he, fellow he's very much he? to stereotype is he yeah and he likes he, he likes teenage girls too much mm. I feel yeah. you know, I was never very never very comfortable with Michael Bay's sort of voyeuristic his 13 year old boy sensibilities yeah, he had like did you you know that story about they had so Megan Fox was in uh was one of the dancers in Bad Boys Two when she was fourteen. Oh, did you know about dear. that? No. Yeah, she's not in it for very she's like in it for like a second. She's but why is she even there? That was my <laughs> question. Why is a 14-year-old girl meant to be because she's meant to be a dancer in a club, like you know, right. in the club. It's like why is a fourteen year old child in that situation we're, we're veering close to libelous uh, <laughs> comments at this point <laughs> against a uh, very rich man so we'll move on to <laughs> this week's film I suppose hey man if Michael Bay is listening <laughs> <laughs> give us a shout out you know yeah, yeah, t- tell all your Twitter followers yeah absolutely so speaking but of next films what's this yes. week's film Hugh I've actually forgotten oh yes 12 Monkeys well, we're, well yes from one awful director to one <laughs> Actual amazing director. Actual director. Well, no, in all fairness, no, there is one thing. So there's the term. So someone once said that Michael Bay was an auteur. He just happens to be that his auteurism is big, loud, crashy, smashy things. And yeah, I, I mean, auteur is not necessarily a good thing, is it? You know, like no. Fred West had a very definite method and uh, <laughs> <laughs> was very specific. I don't think anyone's ever things. described him as a murder <laughs> auteur, though. You know. 
But it's usually a positive trait, isn't it? <laughs> that says that like a director has a, a vision or has a yeah, yeah. has a style. And you know, you know a Michael Bay film when you see it, even if it is just awful. Just like the police were like, Yeah, this nonsense. is definitely another West killing. <laughs> you know, it's very specific. <laughs> very telltale signs. <laughs> I don't th- I don't think it's it's a compliment necessarily. I know it's taken as a compliment being an auteur and having a well you know, recognisable style. Because it's better in many ways than than just being a director for hire kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like, Zack Snyder's also technically an auteur yeah. by that definition, but, I mean, he's visually a very striking films. It's just a shame. He always lets image get in the way of uh, plot. Meaning and <laughs> plot, yeah, 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 character. Martha. But anyway, Terry Gilliam, yeah, certainly in, yep. in an auteur char- uh, category, it's uh, generally unmistakable that it's a Terry Gilliam film. Yes, yes. Terry Gilliam has a very distinctive style, doesn't he? He's uh, he obviously one of the Pythons from Monty Python. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, famously made the the little short at the beginning of the Meaning of Life. The is it the the Crimson uh, Permanent Insurance? I think it's called. <laughs> yeah, and he made all yeah. the animations and things. He's the the American yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Who? Uh, what is it? I think. Um, John Cleese says, you know, he says he's an American, an American, and as an American, he has a very unusual way of expressing himself. And he said they were going over a plane in the Great Lakes once, and uh, Terry Gilligan went, hey guys, look out the window, there's a bunch of water. <laughs> <laughs> Which always makes <laughs> made me laugh. But yeah, no, he's, um, yeah, he's a, very, he's a visionary director. He is kind of like, I'm trying to think, who else has a kind of a, a style like Terry Gillingham when it comes to filmmaking. Just, are you saying Gillingham? Gillingham. Gilliam. Gilliam. Sorry, yeah, I am <laughs> Gilliam. Yeah, Gilliam. Yeah, Gilliam. Like, Gilli- Terry Gilliam, yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm anglicising it, what can I say? Uh, so, uh, I mean, people who know more about films could definitely answer this question better than I could. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, like, you, you. well, yeah, um, Wes Craven. Wes Craven? No. Wes Anderson. <laughs> I mean, Wes Craven no, did Paul, have Paul a style. Anderson. Paul, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. Just well, it's nothing like it's nothing like his style. No, but like where's uh, Paul Paul Anderson? Put, oh, Paul. the guy who does the guy who does like the Tenenbaums and stuff like that. And the, the you're Grand right, Budapest you're Hotel. right. Wes Anderson, yeah, yeah. Wes Anderson, thank you. Paul Thomas Anderson, obviously. <laughs> Boogie yeah. Nights and Magnolia and uh, the Master and so on. Yeah, yeah. Like he has a yeah, and he does have a style, no doubt. Like his. But that's. But I think he's got. I th- his style for me is more about his storytelling, though. You know the way his narratives are kind of, they're 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 there, but they're not really the main focus. It's more about the the atmosphere and the world that it creates. Maybe like the Coen Brothers, maybe. Oh, are you what are you saying? People who have a similar style to Terry no, Gilliam a distinctive. Just, like oh a yeah, distinctive. there's lots of those directors, but I can't think of anyone whose style is like Terry Gilliam off the top of my head. Um, no, I can't either. I'm just trying to think. Well, yeah. let's just let's just think audibly yeah. uh, on yeah. this podcast. That is, um, yeah, do you want to give us a little uh, little synopsis summary so, of the yeah. film? So, yeah, 12 Monkeys, made in 1995, uh, stars Bruce Willis, uh, Madeline Stowe of the 90s fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she was in The Last of the Mohicans and this, and I can't tell anything else. A real, real and, uh, what's the word, a victim of Y2K. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She must have got. Um, they must have done a software update on her. <laughs> um, was it her and uh, what's her face um, from uh, Miss Honey from uh, yeah, and Beth Davidits? I think she's in Beth a few things. Yeah. She's an episode of Scrubs, if I remember rightly. Oh, is she? Yeah, because that's <laughs> post, not twenty years old right now. And then you've got Brad Pitt as well, who's in it, who um, plays a crazy person. And uh, there's a few scenes with Christopher Plummer as well. So they're the main stars of the film, so to speak. Um, so basically what it is, is Bruce Willis's character. He is a man f- from the future in 2035. He lives underground. He's a prisoner because there was a there was a huge, like, global pandemic. <laughs> Imagine that sort of thing happening. <laughs> uh, in 1996, 97, that killed 5 billion people. Uh, they've invented time travel, but it's a bit haphazard and he gets sent back. Uh, he's meant to get sent back to 1996 because that's when it all kicked off, but he ends up getting sent back to 1990. He meets uh, Madeline Stowe's character, uh, Dr. Catherine uh, Rayleigh, and 
basically the sort of the plot is that they're trying to stop this virus from happening and the name of the film comes from a group of um, eco-terrorists that call themselves the 12 monkeys and uh, yeah that's kind of how it goes from from there basically very good yeah yeah good would you would you want to know what i like about this film and why i recommended it to you here um so I, I can't remember when I saw it. I think I saw it in the early 2000s. Like, I feel like I saw it like 2001, 2002, maybe as late as like 2004. Um, and I remember that I, I, it was one of those films that was just on late night on like BBC One or something at some time. And yeah, I remember just really enjoying um, just like the style of it, the plot of the films, quite interesting you know the the haphazard sort of time travel you know terry gillingham's steampunk vibe is very unique in this film i feel it's um it you know the 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 film majority of it takes place in essentially contemporary you know america in the north uh, the northeast there but it's when it goes back to 2035 it's got a very sort of uh it's got a unique look to it you know like it's got it's all sort of rusted and leaking and sort of like you know, very almost sort of a fallout vibe, if that makes sense, but yeah. without the 50s aesthetic. It's very much like, you know, if the world ended in 1996, 97, this is what the world would look like, sort of thing. If you were living in a subterranean, um, you know, like hollow in the ground or whatever they, they're in. So it's, you know, like the, the, to the point where, you know, the, 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 the white coats that the doctors who are sending him back and fall through time, they don't just have white coats. They've got white, like plastic coats. It's, you know, there's almost like, it shares almost some sort of fashion sensibilities with a film like The Fifth Element almost, which is kind of interesting, uh, which, you know, was famously all the uh, costumes and that was done by Jean-Paul Gaultier, weren't they? Who who was on who was on Eurotrash for years? I never understood that. That, was, that blew my mind when I found <laughs> out that that guy from Eurotrash was actually like fam- world famous John Paul Gaultier. <laughs> no, not the main guy. Not the main John guy. Paul. No, no. I was going but to the say other here, French. There's a really question in my say, whole existence. Then what, I don't even know. Did he even present, or was he just stood there being John Paul Gaultier? I mean, once the boobs were done, I was... I yeah. Didn't watch them. <laughs> I didn't I mean, watch all the episodes, you know. <laughs> what was that guy called? Antoine or something the boobs, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Antoine. Yeah. What a weird, something. What a weird yeah. program that oh, was. Oh, the 90s. With that... I always like... You know what I always <laughs> liked about that program? Is they always used to dub everyone with... Instead of them having like, so I'm in the sex club and I'm going from there to here or whatever. And it was always like, well, when I first went to the sex club in Man- in Dusseldorf, <laughs> yeah. they'd always give them these really thick regional northern accents. It was quality. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is so nostalgic. I mean, admittedly, it's obviously I haven't seen Eurotrash for about 15 years. Nobody yeah. goes, I mean, presumably goes back and rewatches now. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just Google image search boobs and there you go. You don't have to go yeah. through all that rigmarole. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, back to back to 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's it's a, it's got a good story. It's got, it's got, Brad Pitt's really good in it, I think. He's, he's you know, you might say he's, he's uh, acting's turned up to 11 a bit, but he plays a crazy character really well, I thought. Um, and what's really good about this film is the fact that Bruce Willis is not phoning it in. <laughs> Do you remember when Bruce <laughs> As Willis... As he has for the last used, 20 years, yeah. ...used to act in things? Yeah. He's actually doing some acting in this film. Like his is, career depended on it. Like, it's great, yeah. I think this is or the his film, income, at least. <laughs> I think this film was the film that came out more or less after he'd been in uh, Pulp Fiction. So this was like his yeah, next... Yeah. So he goes from Quentin Tarantino to uh, Terry uh, Gilliam, you know... It's, oh, you did it, well done. I know, I, I know his <laughs> name. <laughs> I had to think. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, oh, by the way, I, meant to, I forgot to mention that it, it's written by uh, David Peoples and Janet Peoples. The Peoples of the Blade Peoples. Runner. Yeah, yeah, of Blade Runner fame. Yeah, so you can see it's you can see that influence definitely, in it. and it's kind of based on a like nineteen sixties movie called uh, La Gitti or something. Like La Gitti, yeah. Is it based on a book? That isn't it a book originally? Apparently, yeah. yeah anyway, to, yeah, some French nonsense. La Gitti, oh yeah, I suppose it would be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so 
you can, you know, which has very similar themes to this this film. You know, there is a you can see the influence on it. Um, yeah, I just think it's a really cool kind of mid nineties film. You know, this was kind of a Matrixy esque film before the Matrix, I guess. Mm. You know, it's like if if the Wachowskis hadn't made the the uh, the Matrix, you feel like almost someone like Terry Gilliam would have done. Mm, yeah, I, mean, so, I see what you mean by that. Yeah, he's he's very much in that wheelhouse, isn't he? Um, yeah, the only thing I thought you might not like about it is there's a lot of Dutch angles when they're in the mental asylum, and I think they some you I think with Dutch angles you either love them or you hate them. So I'm not sure how you felt about them. There's, I mean, now if somebody if a film made so many Dutch angles, you'd be like, stop making so many. But maybe at the time it was more. This is how you show that this is not a usual place. Yeah, I mean, one thing I do really like about that scene is they use a lot of hel- handheld cameras. You know, mm. there's a lot of handheld shots as they follow him around. And then um, perhaps, you know, the love story in it isn't that affecting. It's sort of like she falls in love with him somehow. Like, you know, she spends the first 90 minutes of the film thinking he's mental. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly she's like, Oh, I love you, <laughs> basically, and yeah. Oh, but, oh, you're dead. Oh, spoiler alert! Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was sort of. Um, I was a bit surprised at that. Like I'd, I'd forgotten that that was in the film. But you know, it, I mean, you could argue it kind of makes sense because she's now like, oh, you're not a crazy person. You're just a man who needs help, <laughs> and you know, she, <laughs> she's into it. She's into it. Yeah, she, she's a doctor at the end of the day, isn't she? You know, she's, she's a caring person. Um, you might. She's not. Look, she's in it. She's not amazing in it. She doesn't do anything. You know, it's. You know, you remember her in like Last of the Mohicans. She's a bit. She's just a kind of along for the ride in this film. I feel, but I, I don't know if that's her fault or the way the character's written. You know, I think the the the, the sort of the the lead character and Brad Pitt's character, they're the two characters that have all the characterization in this film, where. You know, she doesn't really like. I, at no point did I actually think she was an actual psychiatrist. If I'm being brutally honest, <laughs> I'm like, do you do? She's like, oh, I'm a doctor, and it's like, yeah. So how do you know how to take a bullet out of someone's leg? <laughs> You're a psychiatrist, like you said. Is there a doctor on board? I'm a psychiatrist. I can prescribe medicine. For... <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you might not like that, I I, but I don't know, Sam. I think I think what we're gonna do though is uh, we're going to have a break and then when we'll we come out. back we're well, going to get so is, is, is that covered all the what I might not like? Is that, is that the yeah, they were the, they were the only two things I could think of personally. Um, you might have more. You might not have any at all. Who knows? Let's find out. See you after the break. to this week's episode of Please Watch This. So now we have what we like to call here on Please Watch This, Sam's Opinions, because that rhymes, unlike Sam's Opinions, which doesn't. Yeah, get it? yeah, it's yeah. yeah. We change, change the words. We change words. We're like change Shakespeare. Words to make it work. Yeah. Work, 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 work like Rihanna. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I do. That's what I do every day. Or like Men at Work. That band from Down Under. We can dance if we want to, etc. So, getting to Sam's opinions, <laughs> what did I think of this film? Um, yeah. tell, I, me what you, tell me what you liked about this film, Samo. I've liked this film more since I watched it. Um, like over time, I mean, so I've grown to appreciate it more in the 24 hours since I watched it. Right, okay, because I was going to say, it's hard to not like a film that you haven't seen <laughs> yeah yeah that's true I um, mean relative to whilst watching it so it's got all the Terry Gillingham um, hallmarks of uh, <laughs> of kind of madness and frustration I, d- I think you haven't seen Brazil is that right no I've not seen Brazil it's very like I Brazil hear, in that sense I hear is the best film of his it's and exhausting. Good it's really exhausting. It's like it's, it's good. It's good, but it's yeah, it's really exhausting. And Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, of course, as well. Similar kind of thing of never quite being sure where to stand with it, and uh, you know, being oh, I'd, the see, I really frustration. Like, I really like Fear and Loathing. Oh, it's good, but I mean, yeah. like you're never quite sure how you're supposed to feel or what's going on, or you know, the the madness and the frustration yeah. of it, basically. Right. Okay. I'm with you now. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the performances were very good. I think Brad Pitt um, was 
not an unknown, but a relative unknown when it started filming, and then basically by the time it comes out, Seven's come out, and obviously he'd been in a couple of things notably before this, but he then became one of the main stars of it by the time it came out. Yeah, it's odd that this film sort of... Um, he's the third billing on this film, which it just seems insane when yeah. you look at it now, that, you know, this that he's... Brad Pitt, you know yeah, exactly. Sort of and I was, I was thinking, so this is Brad Pitt, kind of early in his career. He'd been in Thelma and Louise a few years before, but it's very early in his career. So he must be in his twenties. He's thirty-two here, and I think I'm thirty-two. Why do I feel like I'm an old man who's never? This is as good-looking as I'll ever be. <laughs> this is Brad fucking Pitt at thirty-two. Well, I mean, I know well, it's not a fair it, thing to compare. How old was he when he? Yourself, so. Then how old was he when he made Fight Club? Four years after, like, so mid thirties, and he looks yeah. like that. Yeah, it was insane. Makes wasn't you it? sick, doesn't it? Makes you sick. sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, when when, this... when um, Rob McElhenney, uh Mac off of uh, Always Sunny was getting in shape, he said mm. he spoke to the uh, personal trainer and he said, "You know, what do you want to look? What do you want to look like?" And he says, "Actually, don't answer the question. I know what you're going to say because every man says the same thing: Brad Pitt in Fight Club." <laughs> <laughs> and let me just tell you, you won't. <laughs> but we can try. You know, we can try. And he looks fucking good. Obviously, I mean, he got, season, he got whatever he it got, is. He got pretty close, didn't he? Mm. To looking like for a man in his forties. Um, yeah, yeah, cracking job. Of yeah. It. yeah. Anyway, back to the film. Um, it is a great story. It's it's one that, admittedly, I watched a, a bit too tired yesterday. So. And it's a bit mad, and it's not necessarily... It holds your hand enough that it's not a complete mindfuck, but it doesn't take you through every step of it. Um, you know, it's not a narrator explaining it to you. So no. I didn't I didn't always exactly understand everything that was happening while I watched it. And then I read the plot on Wikipedia, and it didn't tell me anything I didn't know, but it put it in a way that made it clear how great the story is if that makes sense right. you know, and how right. Fine. Fine. how interesting a story it is um, did you um, did you like the plot twist that 12 monkeys in the end had nothing to do with the virus basically that it was basically a misnomer a little, a, a little bit it was sort of I think it's a really risky thing for a film to do um, yeah. because you've you've put all this sort of investment mentally or not you know into into this thing this group. And, yeah, then, this... and then it's last minute it's changed and then I'm sort of like so who's this David Morse character is it David Morse the actor I can't remember his name but you know who's this guy now who what, who what, he's got a similar kind of wig to Bruce Willis has the guy who gets shot in the airport so why is he I can't quite <laughs> you know and it wasn't as uh, effective yeah. I think as it could yeah. be. but again, I mean they they, they, they set it up don't they that he's he, you know, there's a scene when he goes to the her lecture about people with Cassandra complexes, yeah, and uh, he talks to uh, Doctor Catherine in that and says basically he has this like, like I don't know, this diatribe about humanity and you know saying that we're all mentally ill because we you know we go to the supermarket or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there is a bit of that sort of nineties something you might not like. I think is there is a bit in this sort of 90s counterculture rage against the consumerist mm. machine sort of vibe to this film. It's a bit old which, hat now, isn't it? It's sort of, it, yeah. everyone knows it. It's a bit basic and a bit whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and consumerism, it, you know, is undoubtedly a thing that was, I would, I mean, I don't know, you'd have to ask a sort of a materialist historian or something. When did consumerism sort of as a, as an ideology or as a as a thing become so prominent i think it was sort of like maybe the 50s sort of when it became a thing and yeah. then obviously you've got a generation of people who've grown up with this new phenomena of consumerism and it's sort of them kind of going well what is our lives about you know it's not what's just really interesting is when, cars when brad pitt as this crazy like man that. in an asylum is giving these speeches i was like wait isn't this a speech in fight club <laughs> you know yeah. about you're not what yeah. you're not the size of what's in your wallet and your bank account and all that you you know we are the yeah. what is it that we're the the children of the this and with the lost turds of the this and that it felt a bit like uh, that does, sort doesn't of he say with the children of like the single mum generation or something like I that. can't I remember but yeah he's basically saying you know that's kind of that's kind of Project way. Mayhem and Fight Club isn't it that's that same sort of yeah. very 90s anti-capitalism yeah. kind of thing yeah which you know when you look at this and they're like they're basically like an animals rights terrorist group essentially <laughs> yeah and you sat there thinking 
uh, you know, this seems, like you said, it seems a bit old hat. It's like, this is what we thought terrorism was in the 90s, you know. <laughs> you know, it was about ideologies, not, you know, uh, distortions of religion or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it's interesting. Something I didn't, I failed to mention in the, what I liked about this film, actually, is there are bigger themes to this. There is that whole theme of madness and, you know, like if you know something's going to happen, can you stop it? You know, that the whole Cassandra complex thing. And, you know, the film starts, keeps showing you what's going to happen at the end, but you're not sure what it is. It's like a dream of his. But yeah, so it was, that's, I found that kind of interesting that, you know, if you're, I, you know, if you're the only, if you're telling everyone what's going to happen and you're right, but nobody believes you, are you insane? So yeah, that that, that was a really interesting theme. As you know, I've got a passing interest in psychology, and it is oh, something just a that passing. <laughs> it's something that you know pops up now and then. It's not my favourite quote, but the sort of little speech from L. J. Washington in the in the institution, um, who interestingly is in the wire, and there's a couple of other familiar faces who pop up from the wire, which tells you that it was definitely shot in Baltimore because that's where the wire got basically all their actors. Apart yeah. from the English ones, um, and he <laughs> he says that I don't really come from American. outer space. Yeah, I don't really come from outer space. It's a condition of mental divergence. I find myself on the planet Ogo, part of an intellectual elite preparing to subjugate the barbarian hordes on Pluto. But even though this is a totally convincing reality for me in every way, nevertheless, Ogo is actually a construct of my psyche, and I quite like that how self-aware he was of that. And as you said before, you know the idea that. It's very nineties, um, that isn't it, to be that self-aware. <laughs> yeah, and that, the doctor really was um, eventually convinced that he wasn't that James Cole was it James Cole? Yeah, James Cole wasn't mad, and then but he thinks he might be mad, and there is quite a good question of that. And um, as I've asked you yeah. many times, I know that you have seen One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm now convinced you have definitely seen it because I've asked you enough times. If you have, that was a big thing in the sixties and seventies. This anti-psychiatry movement and who's really the crazy ones you know it's, yeah. and you know One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest is kind of who are the crazy ones here and surely insanity is the only sane response to an insane world and, and all that uh, I do find that stuff fascinating you know how you you couldn't live in one of those institutions without eventually losing your mind uh, and sanity yeah and I suppose other than those people who are like who do legitimately have like schizophrenia and stuff like that like what what it's society that tells people who what they are in terms of their mental well-being or whatever it's it's a label that we as a group put on them if they lived on an island on their own they wouldn't be crazy because they're yeah. the only one there yeah yeah you know, and, and you somebody find else it, labels them you find it in minor ways you know if i've got a student who's got adhd there for the yeah. for their whole school life have been told that they're sort of wrong and they need to adapt to the school system as actually why is the school system the way it is <laughs> why doesn't it cater their to their needs as much and um yeah. i do love that that whole part of the that whole theme that whole sort of journey of the film yeah and and it is that you know terry gilligan likes to deal with like I called him again. <laughs> Sherry Gilliam likes to deal with these um, sort of questions of existence, I guess, and you know, knowledge. You know, there is a whole, there is a bit of like global warming, man, sort of message yeah. in this. It's like, you know, something bad's going to happen, and if you don't do something, it's going to. We're not, you know, we're not doing anything to arrest it, so it's going to happen. There's a lot of fatalism. You know, that's a big theme, I think, of this film. One of, one of the um, lines is something, yeah, that the, the true madness is is just slowly letting the planet deteriorate and, and all that instead of this yeah. other stuff. Yeah. And that's all very interesting, and it is a very interesting film, and you know it's uh, quite a, a relatively topical film. The idea of this virus and how we'd react to it as a society, and, and, and so on. And I quite like how the, that would go. Yeah, I quite <laughs> like the time traveling aspect as well, and how imprecise they are with the time travel, and also yeah. the question of so has he always he must have always existed in each of those times. And this is just a loop thing because obviously he's having these dreams of seeing this shootout at an airport. We know that's just a memory yeah. of when he was a kid. So all this stuff yeah. has already happened. And my favourite yeah. episodes of Red Dwarf tend to be where they try and stop things happening, but they can never do that. There's actually an episode called Cassandra uh, with a right, with a with a machine <laughs> that can tell the future, and she hates Lister and wants him to die because she knows that he ends up killing her. And he finds out this and he says, I'm not going to end up killing you. I'm going to leave right now. And he takes his chewing gum out and puts it on the wall 
to be like, and that's me leaving it. And then the chewing gum kind of leads to a yeah. series of events that destroys it. <laughs> you know, that she, it's impossible to, you can't ever stop it happening because it's already happened. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to get into it because we've discussed this before. Listen and, to uh, our two hour primer episode, <laughs> ladies well, and gentlemen, if you need to. It's not just primer. Like, I don't want to get into, you know, it's got that whole. Uh, um, arrival sort of I, oh that's the it, one hasn't it? that's the one yeah. yeah and if we start that again Jesus <laughs> again, <laughs> we'll have to start recording to, I think it's episode 13 yep. yeah I'm quite, we're quite yeah. proud of that one <laughs> yeah, yeah we get, get get that one gets into the weeds a bit doesn't it but it gets deep it gets but what deep. does it mean about free will no no no, no. Let's, yeah. let's leave that let's leave that well there. it is again this asks that question about free will doesn't it like because like you said he's already seen these events so are they going to happen yeah but he, yeah. but he doesn't know and, and um, I might mention at the time the film Premonition which is not a good film but it's, it's good to illustrate this point Sandra Bullock has this uh, premonition uh, this dream that her husband dies uh, mm. a week from now so the whole week she's very gloomy and then by the end of it she tries to stop him from being hit by driving after him on his way to work and by driving after him he stops his car and he's like why is my wife driving after me and then he gets by a lorry because <laughs> he gets out his car like something, something like that it was back I when I, actually, yeah, it was it from the early 2000s I think 2007 yeah well mid 2000s I think I have actually seen it that's how bad that film is I don't remember if I've seen <laughs> it <laughs> is, yeah is it got the guy from Nip Tuck yeah Julian McMahon yeah. yes I have seen it yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Was, actually I remember quite I enjoyed it. I think at the time, yeah. I think I just—it's a good illustration no, of that of that inevitability, you know. Yeah, I have just no memory of it. Um, so yeah, anything else you liked about it? I do like Gilliam's aesthetic. I don't—I don't know any of the filmmaker who makes sets like he does. It is very, aesthetically, it's very similar to Brazil, and I don't know if they're made. I know it was made for about twenty-five million dollars, so they could have done this. I don't know if it was just made in a big warehouse that they've. Everything just feels so. I don't know the word for it, but there's very little natural light, you know, in these kind of like dystopian prisons. Uh, those kind yeah. of areas, you know, they're yeah. they're quite they're quite brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the only the only time in the film where I was watching it and I was like, oh, this feels this definitely looks like a set is when they're uh, in the trenches in World War uh, One, but that might just be because. I watched 1917 again this oh, week yeah. and that's so authentic and you know even if it is in a studio hell if I could tell <laughs> well but, I, uh, it's more like the big let's say when he's been uh, when he's talking to the uh, the council sort of people you know when he's, when he's in quotes volunteering to go above yeah. and comes back from that and they're going to send him send him into the past those kind of like very grimy very um, busy sets where the walls aren't just that's a plain wall. There's just all kinds of stuff going on, mm. uh, you know, all kinds of buttons here and doodads there, and it's not just here's a wall. It's yeah, just yeah. very grimy and stained and there's industrial. Like that, there's like that floating television with a wall on it or something, looking at him. And yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got. A, yeah, he's. You can see the. You know, that's that's the thing with with Terry Gilliam is he was a he was you know he was an artist you know he was an artist, wasn't he? So a lot of his stuff is very is very arty. Um, so there's a lot of maybe overproduction, but like that's but that's what's so great about it, I think, because it's it's that attention to detail that other filmmakers just don't do. <laughs> the yeah. truth of it, isn't yeah. it? You know, he will go out of his way to. You know, he doesn't need a big floating television thing, but it's there. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and none of it's clean. It's not one of these like uh, sci-fi no, features. It's lived all in, silver it? and clean and all that. It's it's human, isn't it? It's very grotty. Yeah, but that's always been like the sort of steampunk steampunk aesthetic. Though, yeah, that? I, think I do think very, that's a good word for it. Yeah, yeah, it's everything's very, you know, washed out, but not like it's very mid nineties. It does like that guy the guy the, the prison guard with a big scar down his face he does he literally <laughs> he's looks straight like, out of red dwarf or like a, a, yeah, a slice to learn film it looks like vanilla ice yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, him yeah. haircut as vanilla ice pretty you know, sure I saw him in Demolition Man or something you know? yeah yeah he looks very de- yeah like that's another film that's set in like I think Demolition Man's set in like 2017 or something yeah, yeah it's so confusing we didn't have any yeah. of those three shells or anything like that yeah still wait yeah still waiting for the three shells <laughs> so was there anything about this film you didn't like yeah, I mean, I. It's only two hours, but it did. There was a bit of a stretch where it just felt like I was enduring it. But again, it's hard to know if I was just too tired. Um, 
be- maybe because it was it was sort of like because it's got that mind fuck appeal to it, it it wasn't always just immediately clear what they're doing each in each scene and why they're doing it and there was a bit of mental gymnastics going on and this making me sound like a bit of a simpleton that it was like too complicated for me but yeah I just uh, I don't know it kind of it was hard to invest sometimes because I wasn't entirely sure what I was supposed to be investing in or what anyone's doing at any given time right I see yeah fair enough that's yeah that's understandable I think I think it is a bit too long perhaps or it's maybe not so much a bit too long but it seems to sort of I heard it described by one reviewer on YouTube he said it, it kind of sags in the middle yeah where yeah. You, like there's no need for it to like I enjoy all the stuff kind of like when he sort of thinks he's the crazy he start, finally starts to think he's crazy because everyone's telling him he's crazy and all that stuff's good but and yeah I like that kind of role reversal of her um Going from believing he's insane to believing him. Yeah, that's believing he's the next husband. I do I completely agree with you that the romance aspect was just... I just feel like every film does... That, so many films do that where it's like, well, we've yeah. got good-looking leads and they spend time together and they're different. You know, they've got compatible genitals. So at some point <laughs> they should fall in love. But actually it's just, yeah, yeah why can't she just be his doctor who's interested in his plight and then comes around yeah. to realising... I mean... Why, why isn't that a bigger moment rather than like, oh, Andy's yummy. <laughs> you know, Andy's got a really tight, cute butt. <laughs> you but know, why can't he just be that? I mean, I was sat watching it and going, but this this is a couple that could never work. I mean, he's literally like a you know a, he's a troglodyte. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's since not, he was eight or whatever. You know, yeah, he's, he's, he's on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's not exactly going to have had like the best education in the world. You know, yeah. he says, you know, at one point he says, "I can read." <laughs> you know, like that's an achievement <laughs> for a doctor. Um, that's yeah, yeah, that's not that suitable. Yeah, and I just yeah. think just because you're good looking and he's good looking, that doesn't mean anything. That it, it shouldn't. You know, and the fact that he again, spoiler, spoiler alert, we spoil the film enough, but the fact that he gets shot and she's sort of like really upset by that because she loves him or something, I just didn't, I don't know what point that shifted. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I suppose she's invested as well. Like, yeah, but if, like, I just don't I get know that, how it can't, I get why can't be platonic, you know? Yeah, I mean, the only point where it stretched credibility for, like, so, you know, when he, they're in Philadelphia and he's, and he gets out of the car. And he starts looking at the wall and seeing the 12 monkeys signs mm. on the walls. And she has that moment where she realises he's not in the car. She locks the door yeah. and she could flee, but she stays. I, I, I found that a bit unbelievable, personally. And yeah. that was when I was like, oh, well, maybe she's trying to she think she can help him because she's a doctor. That was my only sort of... Or was it, well, I, I obviously want to get away from this guy because he's just basically hijacked my car and me to, to go 100 miles Kidnap me. <laughs> Kidnap yeah. me. Um, but also, there is there there some evidence of the the stuff he's saying. So maybe her sort of professional curiosity and her just an intrigue jumps yeah, in as well. Could, could you remember something somebody like scribbled down from six years ago? If you then suddenly saw it on a wall, <laughs> well, has he been saying? I presume he's been saying it in the journey and like saying yeah. this is what I'm looking for, and then he finds yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But <laughs> but yeah, it's, right. it's the only bit that stretched it for me. But everything else. I thought was uh, pretty tight. There was pretty one other tight. issue that was um, something you said about um, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. How oh, right. she wasn't very good at explaining the situation, and sometimes if she was just better at explaining what the problem was, it could solve that. I just found hmm. it frustrating how bad Bruce Willis's character was at explaining to anybody what was going on. You know, like if if you were just more convincing to the to the police. For example, when he gets picked up the first time, you know, he would still sound like a nut, but he wouldn't sound like a violent nut, <laughs> you know, who they should obviously just dismiss. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, he's, there was, you know, but, the, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, yeah. But then, you know, we don't know what this guy's, you know, he's in prison to begin with, isn't he? So we don't know what sort of psych, like... This guy clearly isn't crazy, but he clearly does have some sort of mental illness. <laughs> like, I don't think he's, you know, he's not exactly somebody who's going to sleep. He's not well-adjusted, like, is he? Cause no. Who no. could be after 30 years underground? Yeah, yeah he's not going to be like uh, somebody who's sort of, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's going to be one of those people who hears a loud bang and he jumps out of his skin sort of thing, isn't he? You know, when he's yeah. trying to fall asleep or whatever. You know, even if he knows what it is, he's that kind of. You know, he's so, got, he's like he, he's like he supposed to be forty eight. Like, 
Well, I thought twenty thirty eight, and he goes down when he's eight, and it's nineteen ninety six. Yeah, I was like, oh, so it the film, so the film's set in um, obviously twenty thirty five, and it was released in nineteen ninety five. So I thought, oh, well, maybe he'll be forty or something because Bruce Willis was literally like forty years old when he made this film. So the character here is actually forty seven. Yeah, so he's eight in ninety six. Born in 88, yeah. 2035. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it doesn't yeah. look 47. So, wait, I'll be 47 <laughs> in 2035. <laughs> yeah, 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 literally. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah Christ. <laughs> so, that makes me feel weird. old. Yeah. Time. Um, <sighs> Time. Um, so, yeah, so I'm meant to be the same age as Bruce Willis's character. In, in many ways, film, you're the same age as Bruce Willis. That's, that's the conclusion that I come to. In many ways, yeah. in many ways. At some point, I probably will be an age that Bruce Willis... If you're fact, lucky. I imagine, that, <laughs> I, might, I imagine that Bruce Willis was once 33. So I mean, ridiculous. Yeah. So that means... So when Bruce Willis became famous, what year did Die Hard come out? 88? 88, yeah. So he'd been 33. Yes. I mean, he was 33. He looks about 40. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hair loss, that's all it is. Like, I look 32. I reckon I'd look 31 if I had hair. <laughs> yeah, no, don't be daft. You'd look about Yeah, seven. I would. Yeah. I'm either 12 or 42. <laughs> that's, your that's baby face. Um, so, any other critics, critiques, criticisms of this film? Uh, no, I think those are the main ones, really. I just, um, I didn't love it. You know, like I didn't, I didn't feel a strong emotion when Brad Bruce Willis died. I didn't feel a strong yeah. connection with the love of the two of them, whatever that was. It did feel crowbar, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't. Part of the problem was he wasn't intrinsically motivated to go back and stop the virus being done in the first place. Really, his mission. His, his mission that he was uh, that he was sent for wasn't his purpose, wasn't his mission. He was, you know, yeah. and they weren't going back to stop the virus being done in the first place. So I was kind of like, I'm not really. He's not like this hero who's been sent through time to stop it happening, you know. So it's not Terminator mm. Two situation, and so right. I think maybe that's also what I mean about the investment. You know, the the main character should be in, in many ways invested in it just beyond saving his own skin, because he's been sent there yeah. to do a job. Yeah. yeah, I think I think as well for yourself, perhaps. You know, this when I saw it, it was maybe what it was less than ten years old yeah. at the time, and there wasn't there hadn't been as many like movies about like viruses and contagions and things like that had come out. So you know, in that period of time, you've had stuff like you know, is it Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Contagion, uh, you know, stuff like The Walking Dead. I think you must have watched that mm. at some point. Yeah. You know, it's not obviously it's obviously not a zombie film, but yeah, um, you know, there's been all these other sort of virus-related pop culture films or whatever, and yeah, maybe it's not like I watched it again today, and I was like, I remember this, I remember it being better than right. it is. I think is the God's honest truth with this film. Yeah, you did say last week that it doesn't seem to have aged as well as others, just uh, culturally. You know, it's not it's not referred no. to as often, and I, there there is a suspicion there where people don't talk about it as much as you'd expect them to for the cast and the crew and everything. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think there's a there is a good reason why but people I think don't really everyone, talk about it. Everyone's much. Solid yeah, yeah, they, they, exactly. That's what like the the cast and the crew are amazing. So you'd think that people would talk about this more, especially as it, you know this kind of like early stages of Brad Pitt's career and helped to push him along. It's one of the, do you feel like it's one of those films that would have been better if? It had just been a few. It been given a few more years to get like maybe some of the, the sort of, sort of tech like that you've got. You know some of the things in cinema that can make a film better. You know like the CGI stuff. Like you could have. I feel like Terry Gilliam could have made a better aesthetic and a better world if he'd made this film in like two thousand one. I think he would have had the tools at his disposal, but I don't think he would have. Somebody else would have. I, I, I feel like he's the type to have very physical sets and very practical effects. I, I yeah. don't think if he made this film today, I don't think he'd have much CGI in it, to be honest. Right, right. Because, um, yeah, I feel like the most interesting, almost the most interesting parts of this film sometimes are almost the scenes when we're not in, like, the 90s. It's when we're in 2035. And I really would have liked to have seen that world fleshed out yeah. a bit more. Yeah. I think. But, anyway... 
So, Sam, what was your favourite scene of uh, 12 Monkeys? The one that will stand out a year from now when I think of this film is probably um, Jeffrey Goyner's, Brad Pitt's character, uh, showing him around Mm. the institution. Oh, what, when he's telling him to get out of the chair and stuff like that? I think that's the one that... Games? Yeah, (laughs) not because I necessarily am taken in by the messages or anything like that. You know, we, we all know those kind of people who should just grow up a bit <laughs> and so on. You know, they're very into conspiracy theories and all that sort of stuff. But it's a very interesting yeah. scene and it's the performances and all this sort of stuff is the one that will probably stand out more. And it is central to that theme of what is madness and who's the, who are the, you know, who are the real mad people and all that. How about yourself? Yeah. Um, my favorite scene is the scene when he attempts to escape from the from the uh, the hospital, and he's you know because he's been given loads of drugs, he's so out of his <laughs> mind that he's not entirely sure what's going on. And I must admit that scene where he's trying to get from his chair to the door, that it, it's what it's like a it's about twelve <laughs> paces or something. It's nothing, is it? But it's so cinematic. He makes like I've seen less less dramatic like you know cliffhanger movies you know with real sort of stakes and you know people you know like you've got to hold on for dear life and he's like literally all he has to do is get from like you know (laughs) his chair to the door you know not very far away i really very um yeah very cinematic (laughs) i think it's the word it was you know it's got all the fun angles and all the shaky steady cam stuff and just chaos going on around them and the absolute chaos and you know and it's like this is I think maybe this is almost I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing with this film because there is a bit of humour in it but I'm not sure if it's sometimes when you're trying to make a serious film is this is it the right time to put humour in the film like so literally but I like it but as he's leaving I like this bit as literally as he goes to walk through the door some crazy person comes up to him and says oh you know go to the Florida Keys I hear it's wonderful this (laughs) time of year or it's lovely this time of year yeah, so I really like that. You know, there is there is a bit of humour in this film, that, and I don't know if that's the right. I don't know if it's at the right I point do, of the film. It's, a, it's an intrinsically comic film, isn't it? It's not a dark drama. It's a comic film. You know, it's Terry Gilliam. You know, so it's a cartoon of a film, really. Yeah, cartoon, but I don't know, like. It, I I do like some of the comedy. I like. I mean, I like the bit when the guy gets stopped, and um, you know, it's his speeders. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's funny. That is like, there's a nice visual little, you know, breaks the tension. But yeah, there is the, the you know, there. I'll discuss it later actually in the critics critics because um, someone mentioned it about it. It talks about the the comedy of it. But anyway, Sam. What I want to know now is what is your favourite line? I you? really like it when uh, they're in, in the institution and James Cole says, look at them, they're just asking for it. Maybe the human race deserves to be wiped out. And uh, Brad Pitt's Jeffrey Goyners, Goyners, Goyners says, wiping Goyners. out the human race? That's a great idea. That's great. But more of a long-term thing. I mean, first we have to focus on more immediate <laughs> goals. <laughs> yeah, that bit is funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really liked the line when... Uh, uh, Catherine's talking to a colleague and um, he says Catherine you're a rational person you're a trained psychiatrist you know the difference between what's real and what's not and uh, Catherine says and what we say is the truth is what everybody accepts right Owen I mean psychiatry it's the latest religion we decide what's right and wrong we decide who's crazy or not I'm in trouble here I'm I'm losing my faith and I, I think that's a great you know, it's a, it's a real sort of statement on sort of, you know, late 90s sort of, you know, chattering classes. It's also a direct attitude. echo of what the... Goiner's, uh, Brad Pitt's character says in the institution where he's talking about Semmelweis and how, you know, the the existence of germs is dependent on whether poli- people believe in them or not. And if you believe in them and people don't, you're crazy. And if you don't believe in them when other people do, you're crazy. You know, so that's kind of similar to, to the point she's making there of, you know, um, yeah. d- d- reality is popular opinion, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it almost reaches into that sort of Nietzschean thing of, you know, God is dead and yeah. we've killed him and it's who replaces <laughs> yeah, yeah. him, you know, sort of thing. Um, and they, they, you know, they replaced it with, you know, analysis of the mind. Yeah. 
which you know you're a fan well of into it. well into <laughs> it, it i also yeah. really like the guy yeah. who they um the guy they get what is it they beat up and he takes out his own when when brad pitt takes it when bruce Willis takes out his own teeth and he says hey is that the cops yeah. i'm an innocent victim in here i was attacked by a coked up whore and a, a fucking crazy dentist <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was yeah. the other line that i had written down <laughs> that i really liked um what was your favorite shot of the film sam uh it was tough i do like some of the dutch angles and i like as a sort of like if I was to have a poster on the wall, it's hard to describe various ones, but, you know, various ones in the scenes of the institution or in the future and so on. Uh, but this is kind of like a, a shot. Maybe when Dr. Rayleigh mm. realises and recognises the young Cole, as a kind of like a, you know... What, when she yeah, smiles at him? that's quite an intriguing yeah, shot. Not, not for aesthetic or whatever reasons, but, you know, that's quite yeah. an interesting choice. Yeah, it's an, yeah, it is because she's smiling because she knows he's <laughs> yeah. It's never really explained. I mean, the, there's a there's a the line that she's like she's like I recognise this face. I've known it my entire life. And it's like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that she starts to be a bit of a. I don't get that line. I was uh, again. I watched one of the there's a good YouTube uh, like retro reviewer. Uh, oh yeah, the Harper, and he was like. And he was like, yeah, I, d- I don't really know why this line happened. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's part of that sense, cyclical really. thing of, you know, he kind of recognises her because he, he did see yeah. her when he was a child. She kind of recognises him. Does she also recognise him because he's but been she, throughout history? But, he's been in the you know World War One, for example, and and so on. Maybe, know. maybe. Yeah, I do like that shot when, like, I was like a good when the penny drops, yeah, sort of thing. When she she looks yeah. at that photo, she's like, you know, the the frantic yeah. grabbing. <laughs> uh, my favorite shot of the film, I really like the bit when they um, they hide from the cops when they think a copper recognizes them on the street, and then they turn towards like a storefront window, and then it pans out, and uh, and they're on these. They're basically being filmed by the the camcorder in the shop. Oh yeah, like, you know, while they're trying to display hide. Model thing, and it's, yeah, <laughs> and it's their face is massive on all these TVs. <laughs> but it 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 was my favorite shot. But it, the other one that narrowly missed out, and I mean by a nat's width, you know, hair was. Um, was the shot of the flamingos flying through the city. <laughs> that was really beautiful, wasn't yeah, it? That was a great shot. That's what you get from Terry Gilliam, though. He gets these really great shots that other directors just don't really yeah, think about. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Right. So that was that. What we're going to do now, Sam, is we're going to have a break. When we come back, we're going to hear what the critics thought of 12 Monkeys, and then we're going to get your response, and then we're going to find out what we're going to do next week, and a quiz. Join us after the break. to uh, the third and final part of Please Watch This. So Sam, I know you like to hear from them. I like to hear from them. Uh, but who do we always like to hear from as our f- number one critic? Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert. So Roger Ebert had this to say about uh, 12 Monkeys. He says, The plot of 12 Monkeys, if you follow it closely, involves a time travel paradox almost all time travel movies do. But who cares? What's good about the film is the way Gilliam, his actors and his craftsmen create a universe that is contained within 130 minutes. And he goes on to say, I've seen 12 Monkeys described as a comedy, and he laughs that it inspires will be very hollow. It's more of a celebration of madness and doom, with a hero who tries to reveal against the chaos of his condition and is inadequate. Uh, this vision is a cold, dark, damp one, and even the romance between Willis and Stowe feels desperate rather than joyous. All of this is done very, very well. And the more you know about the movie, especially the technical side, the more you're likely to admire it. But comedy is not. And as an entertainment, it appeals more to the mind than it, than to the senses. So how many stars do you think Snoop Roger Rodge gave it? Uh, I mean, more than three. I'll say three and a half. No, he was he was only three with this one. 
Three. So he liked it, but he didn't. I don't think he's a bit like yourself. I don't think he loved it. Which is yeah. understandable. Uh, somebody who was a bit more lukewarm on it was uh, Emmanuel Levy in Variety writing when the film came out. Uh, he, I think it's a he, um, had this to say. He said, A visionary filmmaker, Gilliam has few competitors in terms of sheer inventiveness and visual, um, visual imagination. In each of his films, he constructs a universe that overwhelms the senses with bravura production design, but in the process neglects dramatic logic and narrative coherence basic principles that would make his stories more involving and meaningful Gillingham's work is long on sensibility short on sense Uh, he also had this to say about it unfortunately the stellar cast can't overcome the cartoonish nature of their characters Willis is well cast as the reluctant silent hero though playing a victim manipulated by the system may not be what audience expects of an action hero Stowe is ethereal ethereally beautiful as ever but she can't find interesting dimensions in her psychiatrist role fans of Pitt may be disappointed by his de-glamorised look and put off by his eccentric over the top rendition of madness in quotes <laughs> um, well I quite like that and I couldn't help but read the first trivia uh, line on IMDB which was to uh, in order to inspire Brad Pitt to act like that he, Gilliam just took away his cigarettes yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I don't know if that's that true one. but quite I heard that one anyway. yeah that's that, that would that yeah for a few weeks there he must have got a, a very anxious man yeah. <laughs> um it's, that's just that's some sort of out of the box thing though isn't it that like, I love that about some directors they yeah. to get like uh, there's always that one about um basically to when they made Saving Private Ryan the, the 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 actors that get sent off on the mission they were all given like this really hard sort of um like boot camp training thing to get them to look like soldiers of that that area or whatever but uh, matt damon wasn't sent on it so it was their design to build up <laughs> a resentment in you know to try and translate this resentment that they felt towards matt damon towards uh, ryan's character that's great. Um, I heard a similar yeah. thing with um, what's the recent Aaron Sorkin film, uh, *Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, right. Because the I've judge has it, to, yeah. the judge has to appear kind of uh, basically people aren't supposed to like him, right, um, okay. and the actor Frank uh, Magella. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. very famous actor. I don't know why I'm spacing on his name. He said that he just didn't hang out with the crew with the cast because he didn't want them to have a, a warm relationship with them you know with him he wanted them to not really like him and see him as a bit of an outsider because they're supposed to not really like him at all right oh that's clever yeah I yeah. like stuff like that I like it when yeah. people just think of these interesting ways to get performances out of their actors absolutely uh, you know um, so the only critic that really matters here on please watch this is your opinion Sam it's true um, true so, uh, in a break with tradition, how many monkeys out of 12 would you give <laughs> um, 12 monkeys? So, I would give it out of 12, 8. Yes. Out of 12. So, is that so like a 6? 7.5. 7.5, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I can go with that. I can, yeah. Liked it, appreciated it, yeah, didn't it's love a, it. It's a 7, uh, borderline 8, I think. But Yeah. I think it's it's one of those films that maybe isn't isn't more than the sum of its parts but its parts are pretty good so it gets it you know it, it's it's got a good script and premise it's got good actors and it's got in arresting and you know visuals it it's 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 an attack on all your senses almost yeah, except for yeah. smell in terms of <laughs> how it works maybe it, the score's good but i don't think it's memorable uh necessarily mm. maybe mm. a more memorable score might have helped it you know i think the the time travel go back and stop a thing genre has is well worn at this point you know you've got other films like source code which you know now i think about it pops in my head that's got a very similar well vibe. It's, it's been described as looper but with more with fewer looper. guns you know and uh, yeah that was quite interesting i think it's yeah. a better film than, a lot better film than looper i never i never finished looper <laughs> it's okay it's not as it got it's the thing that stopped me reading empire magazine oh yeah the five star because yeah. yeah. <laughs> i was expecting this amazing 12 monkey-esque film or whatever and i got looper and i was like source code was better than this <laughs> had i even seen source code at that point which came out first oh there's there, we'll have to check afterwards yeah so some listen and that's your home check and find yeah. out i think source code is yeah. probably first anyway i think it's time for a quiz mate i think it is 
It is time for a quiz. Question number one. I think you're going to get all of these, actually. <laughs> uh, this week. Uh, what planet are the barbarian hordes on? Pluto. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll find they're in Gaul, mate. And, uh, <laughs> they're in Ogo. They're in, his, they're in L.J. Washington's mind. In his <laughs> yeah, psyche. Pluto, you're correct. Question two. What Marx Brothers film are they watching in the uh, recreational television room? A duck Soup. Nope, it flashes up. I, I thought you, I thought you'd get this one straight away because uh, it flashes up the name of it. Do you want to guess again? It's got it's 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 a theme of the title. Oh, time will tell or something. What's it called? No, it's literally got one of the words from the title of the film. In it. <laughs> Go on, I'm not going to march for the no, film titles. It, it flashes up monkey business. That's what they're oh, of course. Oh, and then he says, get it, monkey, monkey business. Monkey, and he yeah. shows him the key. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I should have absolutely got that. Yeah, you should have, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> where is lovely this time of year, Sam? <laughs> Florida Keys. Indeed it is. Uh, which character from Greek mythology is cursed with the knowledge of the future that she cannot change? Cassandra. Cassandra. Cass- All I can hear is... Uh, is um, Rodney from <laughs> Rodney. Rodney Falls. <laughs> yeah, Cassandra. Cassandra. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finally, question five. What sandwich did they send down the well with the monkey? What what type of sandwich was it that got sent down to that kid who was ultimately hiding in a barn? I, I'm getting cheese. N- nope. Okay. Ham and tomato. Nope. Uh, T- tuna and onions. No, I'll get. You've not got it. <laughs> Let's stop this now. Uh, it is roast beef, roast oh, beef sandwich, okay. which I haven't had a roast beef sandwich in ages. I really yeah. want a roast beef sandwich now. Anyway, please go. tell us about your favourite roast beef sandwiches. Uh, so three out of five. Uh, must try standard. Harder, standard. Yeah, that is absolute yeah. standard, isn't it? Yeah, that is the that is the classic market. Sam, final question: Would you recommend this film? Yes, it is. It's worth a watch. It's worth watching this, and I think like. Fear and Loathing almost back to back because they're both by the same director when you yeah. put and I think they're two of his three best films in my opinion I have to say it's more like Brazil so it's more yeah. of a double feature with Brazil but you're right I mean you know he is an auteur uh, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it with caveats you know I'd say oh it's really good you should watch it but it's a bit a little bit outdated or it's it's maybe not what you'd expect yeah, it's not it, like a it's not like a slick time travel film it does yeah it's not slick is it it's more on his t- didn't he do Time Bandits yeah yeah, it's more. It feels more time bandits, doesn't it, than yeah, yeah. the source code or whatever, you know. But <laughs> yeah. no, I, I was like a good time travel film. Uh, so yeah, so Sam, what film are we going to watch next week? What are you recommending that I have to watch? We're going to watch a film that, I, in many ways, you know, and there's no judgment here because there's lots of films I hadn't seen. I'm going well, to watch a film to that be I fair, couldn't believe that you'd never seen. I was surprised you hadn't seen this one actually. This I felt this was yeah. right in your wheelhouse. So. This this is actually odd because this is a film that I absolutely should have seen. Twelve Monkeys. The film I'm going to recommend to you is one that is a sort of film I wouldn't have seen that you would. It is Point Break. That, that does sound like what you would call a boring man film. Yeah, but, but actually, it is, it's fun. It's silly fun uh, yeah. man film, but it's very much a man film. I um, you must know a lot about it already. It's been parodies and so on. I mean, what do you know about it? Yeah, I've, I mean, other than the stuff in Shaun of the Dead. I think it's been, it's one of those films that has been on TV enough times that I've seen bits and pieces of it over the years, yeah. but I've never sat down and watched it all the way through. So I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, listening to Keanu Reeves go whoa a lot, dude or whatever, you know. Well, he's not, he's not, he's not Theodore Esquire, but you know, oh, that, um... would, wow, that would be so much better. For, such a better film, <laughs> but yeah, you know, Patrick Swayze. Uh, I think he's an undercover... Right, let me get this straight. So he's an undercover cop who's been sent to infiltrate a group of... Are they daredevils who are bank robbers or something like that? Bank robbing surfers, yes, of course. Bank robbing surfers. The classic setup. Yeah. Johnny Utah, that's his name. That's it, Johnny Utah, (laughs) yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, so I'm vaguely familiar with the premise of the film, but who's it directed by, do you know? It's Catherine Bigelow. An actual woman directing a film Hmm. about men. Crazy. I know. I know there was a film that tried to like echo it in the early two thousands, where they're all like into extreme sport and tried to use like. Well, there was a Point sport. Break two, or it's called Point Break from like ten years ago, uh, where it's just like they amp up the extreme sports aspect, and I'd never watched maybe, it because it just seemed like it was like maybe a it was the, no, documentary was, about <laughs> you know surfers and was free free fall. That was. I know that they remade it, didn't they, a few years back? But I'm sure there was definitely a film. 
that was they were trying to go for the point break vibe but obviously it was it wasn't point break <laughs> oh, um, I'd love to horrid, what's it, what was that one not horrid Henry what's it called uh, you know the one where it's all like POV and it's oh um, it's like it's the title's like horrid Henry but it's not, no, it's horrid, not horrid Henry, Henry. <laughs> uh, hardcore Henry Hardcore Henry. That's a good that's film. Yeah. That's a good film. I never saw that. Never saw oh, have that. you not seen Hardcore Henry? It's fun. You'd like it. I think it's got um, Shalato Copley in it, and he's he's great in a lot. He's not great in everything, but he's great in this. <laughs> he plays a really interesting character. Oh, well, I, I, Hardcore I, I am really looking list. forward to talking about Point Break because I, I watched this film a lot growing up. It's one. Of, it's on. Maybe it was a VHS that was at my dad's house along with um, Serial Mum and Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. And I feel like I must have watched this film. About 15 times. Yeah, lots and lots. So I'm looking forward to talking to you next week Mm. about it, Hugh. In the meantime, Mm. if the listener wants to tell us their opinion on Terry Gillingham or um, the Catherine Bigler epic Point Break, how could they do that? Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Look, yeah. If they're Vietnamese. (laughs) No, what they need to do is they need to somehow... uh, get caught in a global pandemic so now's yeah. the perfect time um, <laughs> strike while the iron's still hot you know <laughs> you know find out if someone's got any time travel going on maybe go back to 2019 and stop some idiot in a wet market in Wuhan uh, <laughs> eating a bloody bat or whatever the fuck it was yeah just do that please right that's just a yeah, that's request. actually that's more important if they, yeah. if however they wanted to email us about their exploits um, what they would need to do is they'd need to use either their phone, computer, laptop, uh, internet-enabled television. So they, can they send email? I imagine they <laughs> can. I don't, ha- I don't have one. Um, I, t- I do have a television. I don't have a, uh, <laughs> a, a, an internet one yet. Um, yeah, please watch this. Dotpod at gmail.com. That's it. Sam, if they wanted to use their mobile phones in a different way to contact us, how in the do crazy that? dystopia that they're living in in 2019, if they have Twitter, <laughs> we are yeah. at Please Watch Pod. Yeah, Please Watch Pod. That's the one. Absolutely. That's the one. Is Very there anything good. else? Anything else? For anything else? Are we done? Sort off, think, I think. think can, I Listener, think can I there. love you a great deal and yeah. uh, look forward to talking at you next week. Yeah, what a great episode. We just produced that, top, I think. Top 100. I think it will live in the annals of history. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> love you guys take care bye, bye.